You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Well, hey, City Tribe, as Pastor Robbie said, my name is Lee. I'm one of your tribe teachers, and today we continue our series, Check Your Emotional Gauges. Over the last nine weeks, we've explored what the scriptures teach about mental and emotional wellness. And our conversation today is actually a continuation somewhat of our conversation last week. And last week, we saw that we, if we want to live our best possible life, we have to live for the sake of the Son of Man, that is, live for Jesus' sake. And Putting it a little more clearly, it's we live for Jesus' sake and we live out our purpose. And when we do that, there is a pouring out of physiological benefits that impact our mood and our motivation. And ultimately, it produces a sense of peace in us. There's a sense of relief. And so we encouraged you guys last week to do that. But here's the thing. If we're honest, I'm not always motivated to make Jesus's mercy known. And I'm not always motivated to live for Jesus's sake and love my enemies because there are just some people with whom I clash. There is just a certain personality type that has the right combination of buttons that is downloaded in them and they know how to push all those buttons. And, you know, I just struggle with that and I am not motivated to give mercy to those individuals. You know, Jesus said that we are to love our enemies, and concerning those particular people and personalities, I think all our enemies, Jesus. And Jesus said to bless people who curse you, and I think that those people in particular are probably the exception that he was talking about. I don't know. They maybe deserve a little cursing, right? And he also said to pray for those who mistreat you, and so I do pray that God removes them from my life. Uh, Anyone else struggle with living for Jesus's sake and making known his mercy? Now, the problem with having a problem with problematic people is that we don't extend them mercy. And when we don't do that, we're not living out our purpose. And like we already said, like we saw last week, when we don't live out our purpose, there's no hope for us to ever truly experience the peace that we were created to experience. It inhibits us from being on a path to being made mentally and emotionally well. It inhibits us from experiencing the blessings we were created to experience. And so we have to find a way to cultivate a sense of affection and a sense of appreciation for difficult people, the most undeserving folks especially. So the question for us then is how? How might you and I cultivate an appreciation and an affection for even our enemies in order that we could live for Jesus' sake, live out our purpose, and experience peace? What must we do to be motivated to make his mercy known? Well, the answer to those questions are, again, found in Luke's account about Jesus. So if you plan to follow along in the scriptures, go ahead, get out your Bibles, turn to Luke, the seventh section, Luke chapter seven. And before we jump into today's teaching, let's just pray and ask God's spirit to speak to us in this time. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity and the resources to gather together 
whether physically or digitally, and to be able to unpack your word. And so, Lord, in our time together today, we pray that your spirit would help eliminate any distractions from our minds. Would you calm us? Would you center us? Help us focus on the still, small voice that is yours. Speak to us, Lord. We are listening for you. We desire to hear from you, and we need to. We pray all this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said, amen. Now, where we pick up in Luke's account today is basically where we left off last week. So Jesus was continuing to travel around the eastern Mediterranean region, and he continued to heal people of their diseases and their afflictions and all of their evil spirits, and he continued to invite even the poor into his kingdom movement. He said his kingdom was available for all people, and so a whole bunch of folks, large crowds, everywhere he went, gathered around him, and there was a certain report, a certain rumor that went around that region about Jesus. It spread like wildfire, and this is what the multitude of people said about him. They said, a great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. In other words, the creator of heaven and earth is here and near. The giver of life is in our midst. That's a pretty peculiar report that should make anyone's ears who hear it perk up, right? Well, for one person that Luke wrote about in particular, this report about God being near, it was perhaps the last shred of hope that this person could ever be made mentally and emotionally well. And this person's story is actually our case study today for how you and I might cultivate appreciation and affection for people that are difficult for us and so that we can begin to live out our purpose and experience peace. And so what was so significant about this person's story and what did they do that will help us cultivate appreciation and affection, a love for others so we can make Jesus's mercy known? Well, Luke doesn't tell us a lot about this person, who this person was, what this person did exactly, but from what Luke did tell us, here is what we know. This person was not living their best possible life at all. Now, we're going to go on a little journey here for the next few minutes. It's kind of my style of teaching. I like to give you a whole bunch of background information and context at the top and at the beginning so that when we get to the meat of our conversation and to our teaching Hopefully, if I did a good enough job, you guys will be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I completely understand. All right, so I need you guys to hang in there with me for just a few minutes. Cool? All right. Now, the concept of sin in the scriptures is communicated by the idea of an archer who takes his bow and he shoots at a target and he misses the target. And because the archer missed the bullseye mark, he thus forfeited his prize. Well, in the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, God gave certain standards for how people should perfectly live and how they should perfectly love. And anytime we don't perfectly live according to his standard, we miss the mark. That is, we've sinned. For example, whenever I've lied, like that one time that I've lied, and whenever I've stolen or cheated on a test or something like that, and if you ever have, we've missed the mark of perfectly living and 
perfectly loving. We've sinned. Or whenever I've badmouthed someone, and I don't do that often, but once in a blue moon. Whenever we badmouth someone or mistreat someone in any way, when we've inflicted any sort of harm on them, or if you ever have, well, we've missed the mark of perfectly living and perfectly loving, and we've sinned. And since God is perfect, and since he's holy, people who have sinned or sinners are considered unacceptable to be in his perfect presence. They forfeit the prize that is his favor. And it's for this reason that we know the person Luke wrote about, whose story we're exploring today, was not at all at peace or living their best life. This is what Luke shared about that person. There was a woman in the town who was a sinner. She missed the mark. She forfeited the prize of God's presence and his favor. Now, here's what else this woman being known as a sinner tells us about her story. Because sin, in some capacity, it steals the peace and it steals the joy from others. Because sin, at some level, it steals others' quality of life. And because you and I are each created in God's image and he thus views us as invaluable, was the penalty for taking the quality of one's life, God requires the sinner then to give life. Blood must be be shed so that the sinner learns the value of life and in order to be made right with God once again. Now, God is so gracious that he taught the value of human life in this way. This was the lesson. He essentially said, look, so that you would learn the preciousness and the value of your brothers and sisters of their lives because they're made in my image. Anytime you don't perfectly love them, you're going to have to give a sacrifice, the life of a creature. And you'll have on your conscience the guilt of taking the life of an innocent animal because of your misdeeds. But not just that. To give you a glimpse of the pain that you have inflicted of stealing someone's quality of life, there's going to be a financial burden of having to pay for that animal sacrifice. The Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament detailed God's penalty for not perfectly loving, the penalty for sin this way. If someone incurs guilt, he's to confess he has committed that sin. And he must bring his penalty for the guilt for the sin he's committed to the Lord, a lamb or a goat from the flock, as a sin offering. And in this way, the priest will make atonement. He'll make things right between the sinner and God once again on behalf for his sin. And if he can't afford an animal from the flock, well, then he can bring to the Lord two turtle doves or two pigeons as penalty. And if he can't afford that, he can bring two quarts of fine flour. Thinking of these penalties just makes me think about how broke I would actually be for all the sins I committed just yesterday, right? Anybody else feeling like they'd be broke in this system? And so the fact that Luke described this woman as a sinner, it tells us that she would have had on her mind this nagging burden of having to pay a penalty. And sadly, she'd have to live with the burden knowing she'd never be able to pay it. Why is that? Well, because as Luke detailed, she was a woman, who was a sinner. And as we've taught many times here at City Tribe, women in that culture and in that day in particular, they didn't have the same rights that women in our world today have. 
In fact, now, this is an important part of our conversation, so try to remember this. We're going to circle back to it here shortly, but women were treated so differently in that day that exposing their hair in public, it was the same as exposing their private parts. In fact, if a woman let down her hair in front of men, especially if they weren't her husband, she'd be seen as being sexually provocative and thus a sinner. A collection of commentaries on the Jewish law, the Talmud, it details this matter this way. It says, even a woman's hair is considered nakedness. And so my point in sharing this, my point in bringing this up is that given the period of history and the culture that this woman who was known as a sinner lived, she had no opportunity for any gainful employment. And do you know what that means? It means she had no way to ever earn enough income to purchase just two quarts of fine flour, the least of the sin offering. Meaning, she had no hope to ever pay her sin debt and be made acceptable by God and ever experience his favor again. And so her community, they would have seen her as defiled and impure and unholy. No one would ever go near her for fear that she would make them unclean and unholy. They wouldn't even look at her for that matter. In fact, she was probably excommunicated from her community, forced to live on the streets and fend for herself. She was likely malnutritioned and her skin was probably leathered from being exposed to these harsh weather conditions and her hair was probably unkempt, her nails unkempt, her mouth and breath probably smelled pretty rotten. She probably reeked of an odor that she attempted to mask with perfume. Can you imagine how lonely and how hopeless and how worthless this woman would have felt. The burden of her unpaid sin debt was more than just financial. It cost her socially. It cost her psychologically. It cost her physically. Her sins, her missing the mark and other sins against her, for them not perfectly loving her, it stole her quality of life that Luke described her as both a woman and a sinner. This is how we know she was not mentally or emotionally well. She was far from experiencing any sort of peace. And so, having heard that very peculiar report, that rumor about God that has visited his own people, surely she thought, this is my opportunity. This is it. This is my chance to confess my sins in person and to appeal to God and plea for his acceptance. This is my chance to receive his favor and be on a path to experiencing his peace. And so she tracked down Jesus to a soiree that he'd been invited to by these religious aristocrats of their day known as the Pharisees. And with nothing left to lose, she made her way through this soiree, through, this, through the religious aristocrats. And here is what she did. Luke detailed it this way. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume She stood behind Jesus at his feet. Now, Luke doesn't tell us if she ever said anything, if she was ever able to verbally confess her sins. But what Luke did share tells us she didn't need to. Her actions spoke loudly and spoke clearly 
for her. She postured herself on her knees as if to say to Jesus, your law requires life for my sins. Well, I give to you my life. And so, weeping, she began to wash his feet with her tears. And then what she did next would have been so appalling to the party's attendees. These guys would have shielded their eyes. They would have awaited Jesus to rebuke what they thought was a seductive and suggestive act. She was inviting Jesus is what they thought. Now, recall what we discussed just a few moments ago about a woman's hair being exposed in public and that being the equivalent of nakedness. Well, here's what the woman did. She wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, essentially her private parts to the folks in that day, kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And the host, this religious aristocrat, Simon, he was critical that Jesus permitted such sensual seduction, and he thought to himself, this man, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. She is a sinner. And so what did Jesus know about this woman that he allowed her to kiss his feet and engaged with her when nobody else would? And what does any of this have to do with our ability to cultivate appreciation and affection for others so that we can live out our purpose and eventually experience peace? Well, through a story Jesus told the aristocrat, the Pharisee, Simon, he explained what was really going on with this woman. And the story kind of goes like this. So suppose you and I, we each get a credit card and we take on a massive amount of debt charging this credit card. And the debt that I amassed, it was about a year's salary. So let's just say $50,000. And the debt that you amassed, it was probably about 10 years salary. So let's say $500,000. And because life happens, you and I, we would ongoingly charge this credit card here and there. And so even though you and I might make monthly payments toward our debt, we would only ever just chip away at it. We would never really be able to fully pay it off. And so we would go through life carrying this heavy financial burden. And not to mention, I mean, those of you who've ever experienced any kind of debt in real life, there's a mental and emotional burden of trying to figure out how you're going to make these monthly payments and how you're not going to have your possessions seized or your credit affected. And then, you know, there's also like relational tension of managing your finances in the household. And so one day, our credit card company says, you know what? And they send out a huge memo they say to us, we care so much more about your quality of life than we do receiving ongoing payments from you guys. We would rather you guys reappropriate all of your mental and all of your emotional energy to something that's going to help produce peace and help you experience life in its fullest possible capacity. And so here's what we're going to do, you guys. We are going to purge from your account all the debt that you incurred. You never owe us another payment, even if you continue to charge that credit card. So enjoy your financial, your mental, and emotional freedom. That'd be pretty dope, right? You got to admit. And this is essentially the story that Jesus said to Simon to address what was going on with this woman. And here's how Luke recorded it. He said there was a creditor that had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And since they could not pay it back, he, the creditor, 
graciously forgave them both. And so which one of them, the debtors, would love him, the creditor, more? Who do y'all think? Well, to answer that, let's go back to our credit card analogy. If my $50,000 debt was paid and purged, I would for sure be grateful. But I might also be deceived into thinking, well, you know, it was only one year's salary. It wasn't really that much. I was able to pay it down on my own. It really didn't change my quality of life that greatly. But you, with your $500,000 of debt, if it was paid and purged from you, it'd be a game changer, right? You'd feel such a relief. You would want to thank that CEO in person, shake his hand, give him a big old hug. You would be forever appreciative about that company's graciousness and their generosity. You would tell everybody about them and be such a loyal customer. The relief, the joy, the happiness you would feel would be a lot like Dogface 208 on his skateboard. You know what I'm saying? Why is that? Because your debt was so insurmountable. It was so pronounced that you were keenly aware that you would never be able to pay it. And having it purged, it instantly gave back to you mental and emotional capacity. It immediately improved your quality of life, knowing you wouldn't have to pay it. And so, between you and me, in this scenario, which of us would be more appreciative and more affectionate toward our creditor? Well, I'm sure we'd all agree with how the Pharisee Simon answered Jesus' question. He said, the one he, the creditor, forgave more. That is who would be more appreciative and affectionate. To which Jesus affirms Simon, and he affirms your answer, and he affirms my answer, you have judged correctly. Now, this is the point. This is Jesus' point that he wanted Simon to understand about the woman who kissed his feet. And it's the point that you and I have to understand if we want to cultivate a capacity to be able to appreciate and demonstrate affection for even our enemies. The point is this, that a person who knows how great a debt they have and how impossible it is to ever pay, that person will be forever appreciative and affectionate toward the one who paid and purged their debt. Let me say it again. Jesus's point was that a person who knows how great a debt they have and how impossible it is to ever pay, that person will forever be appreciative and affectionate toward the one who paid and purged that debt. And just to make sure that his point wasn't lost on Simon, Jesus connected the dots for him. He contrasted Simon's reaction to his visit with the woman's reaction to his visit. Jesus said, do you see this woman? Sidebar comment really quickly. That is one of the most dignifying statements in all of the scriptures. Do you see this not sinner, not harlot, not defiled dog, woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, she's washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. 
You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Jesus' message to Simon was this, this woman, she is the debtor in my story with the more pronounced debt. The burden of her sin was just so pronounced and it was so great that it stole the quality of life from her. And so she grasped the need for me, God who has visited his people, to purge her debt. And this is why she was so affectionate toward me. Jesus said it this way, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That is why she loved much. And then it's as if Jesus said to Simon as he broke down this explanation that, Simon, you are the debtor in the story with the seemingly smaller debt. You're not crying. You're not kissing my feet because you are just so unaware of how great a debt you actually have that you actually can't pay it. And then what Jesus actually said next is one of the reasons that I am convinced people who claim to know God and people who claim to follow Jesus are so arrogant and hateful and judgmental and racist and bigoted and angry and greedy and unmotivated to make known his mercy, living out their purpose. He said to Simon this, the one who is forgiven little loves little. You can never make Jesus's mercy known if you don't know Jesus's mercy yourself. You see, what Jesus' exchange with Simon about this woman reveals to us is that your awareness and my awareness of the depths of Jesus' mercy for us, it directly impacts how we appreciate and how we're affectionate with others. Knowing the magnitude of Jesus' mercy, it cultivates a compassion in us. It cultivates in us the capacity, the capacity to love much. And according to Jesus, when we, like the woman who was a sinner, when we recognize that he came to pay and purge our insurmountable debt, When we realize how great his mercy is, you and I will grow in our appreciation. We will grow in our affection. We will love much and make known his mercy. In other words, the answer to our question here, what do we have to do to find the motivation, to find motivation to love, to love even our enemies? We need to fixate on the fact our sins are forever forgiven. We need to fixate on the fact that our many sins, our insurmountable debt, it's forgiven. Being keenly aware of Jesus' mercy for us, it is the catalyst that we need to be able to love our enemies, thus enabling us to live out our purpose and put us on a path to being made mentally and emotionally well. And so listen, it's critical that you get this, it's critical that I get this, because we're living in a day and an age where mercy is just so uncustomary. Love is not as commonplace as we would hope. There is not a lot of peace that we see. Thus, we've got to fixate on the fact that we are forever Forgiven. You know, I feel like many people only know Jesus in name and they don't really know the depths of 
his mercy. And so you and I, we have to get abundantly clear about his love for us. And just from how much we've actually been forgiven, this is how much Jesus adores you. This is how much he adores me. Check this. Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, he did not see equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he emptied himself of his divine attributes and he took on the form of a servant. He visited his people. And in the form of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus willingly gave his life as a sacrificial sin offering. He poured out his blood to be the once and for all payment for the penalty of the suffering that I have inflicted and will inflict for the suffering that you have inflicted and will inflict upon other image bearers. And since Jesus' life is the only acceptable offering for sin, we have been made forever accepted by God. We are forever in his favor. This is how much we are adored, but not only that. Unlike the countless animals who were sacrificed, Jesus did not stay dead. Three days later, by the power of his spirit, he was raised to new life, raised from the grave, and he eventually ascended into heaven where he currently sits on the right hand of the power of God, where he's reigning, ushering in his coming eternal kingdom. And now here's the sweetest part of Jesus' love for you and for me. Not only does he forever erase our sin debt. Like the woman who was a sinner, when we acknowledge that we need him, he also gives to you and he gives to me the very spirit that raised him from the grave and gave new life. It's his down payment. It's his guarantee that we too will be raised to eternal life, to be in his presence in paradise for eternity, in peace. And on top of all that, this is how much he adores us. He gives you and me the promise of an inheritance of eternal rewards when we make known his mercy. This is how much you are loved. This is how much I am loved. This is the depth of Jesus's mercy. And so here's my point with all of this. If we're going to make Jesus's mercy known so that we live out our purpose and experience peace that he designed us to experience, we have to fix our thoughts on the depths of his mercy. You and I must fixate on the fact that our many sins are forever forgiven. And so here's what I invite you to do with me starting today, hopefully for the rest of your life to help us focus on the fact our sins are forgiven, I want you to internalize a declaration that Jesus made. He said it to the woman who was a sinner, but it applies to you and to me just the same. Jesus declared this. He said, your sins are forgiven. And so on the count of three together, whether you're watching digitally, if you're here in the cameo, I want us together as one tribe to say that declaration. If you're just listening only to the audio on the count of three, we're gonna say your sins are forgiven. Are y'all ready? One, two, three. Your sins are forgiven. 
And remember, when we know the depths of Jesus' mercy, we will be motivated to make Jesus' mercy known. And so when you find it difficult to express appreciation or affection for people who are very difficult for your enemies, when you find yourself struggling mentally and emotionally to love those folks who have mistreated you, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of the significance of this declaration and all the implications, everything that it means. And so, to help you out with that, is what I want you to do right now in this moment. If you're listening or you're watching from your home, do whatever you can to just minimize distractions right now. If you're listening while you're driving in the car or if you're running, you know, be safe. But if you guys would, where you are, just go ahead and hold out your hands as if you're going to receive. And I'm going to read some declarations to you and some implications of that declaration. And if you feel comfortable so doing, go ahead and close your eyes in this moment. My hope is to help you understand the depths of Jesus's mercy and just the significance of that statement. So your sins are forgiven. Jesus's mercy is so great. You don't have to live thinking about the financial burdens of paying for a sin offering. We are so far removed from that. We are the beneficiaries of that blessing. It's not even a thought in our mind. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus's mercy is so great. You don't have to deal with the guilt of killing an innocent animal for your misdeeds. That system is done. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus's mercy is so great. You don't have to live practicing rigid religious rules and participating in any sort of rituals to be acceptable to commune with God or experience his blessings or to be in his favor. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus's mercy is so great. You don't have to wonder if you've disappointed God. You don't have to fear that he'll reject you. You're forever accepted no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus' mercy is so great, you don't have to live paranoid wondering if or when God is going to punish you for your sins. Because of his death on a cross, the penalty for your sins, past, present, future, are paid in full. It is finished. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus' mercy is so great, you have been made a suitable temple for God's Holy Spirit. And so God is always with you. God is always near. You have constant access to his counsel, to his comfort. You have his guarantee for eternal life in his presence. Your sins are forgiven. I believe that if you internalize and meditate on this truth, the Holy Spirit will help you fully know Jesus' mercy. So you'll want to make Jesus' mercy known. It will motivate you. 
You'll cultivate your capacity to extend appreciation and affection. You'll love much. And in so doing, you'll live out your purpose. You will produce peace. You'll be on a path to being made well. This is why Jesus said to the woman, and he says to you and me, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for Luke's thorough investigation of eyewitness testimonies about Jesus so that we would know with certainty what's been instructed about Jesus and what Jesus has instructed. And I thank you for the example of the woman who was a sinner that Luke recorded for us. I thank you that she has shown us that we would love much and be able to live out our purpose when we understand the depths of Jesus's mercy. And so, Lord, my prayer is that you would help us fixate on the fact our many sins are forever forgiven. These declarations that were just spoken help us remember the depths of that mercy, everything that it entails so that we can go forth loving much, making your mercy known and be made well. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and everyone who agreed said, amen. Well, that concludes our conversation today. Next week, our lead pastor, Doug Robbins, is gonna be back with us to continue our series, Check Your Emotional Gauges. I hope you guys will tune back in. I hope you guys will be back here with us Uh, If you are still feeling a sense of needing to commune with God, we do have folks that are willing to and ready to pray with you digitally. So just connect with us, send us a direct message. And uh, as you go, let me remind you guys what Pastor Robbie said to sow a seed here so that we can continue to get this message out and make Jesus' mercy known and multiply peace in our world. And now before we go, brothers and sisters, let me speak a blessing and a benediction over you guys. May you all go forth fixated on the fact that your sins are forever forgiven, knowing the depth of Jesus's mercy and his love for you, that you might be motivated to make his mercy known, live out your purpose, and experience peace. Go in peace. I love you guys. God bless. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.